This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Gallery. This week's guest is Todd Van Hoos, President and CEO of the Farm Credit Council. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CHS Inc. CHS is a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States. Learn more at chsinc.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Todd Van Hoos next. In rural America, there are three things that never change. The land, the determination of the families that farm it, and the loyalty of their co-ops, which provide the markets, inputs, and agronomic expertise farmers and ranchers need to stay profitable. CHS, the nation's leading cooperative, is proud to connect member cooperatives and producers to the value of an energy, grains, and food company they own. To learn more, visit chsinc.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The slide in U.S. farm income that began in 2013 continues today. Todd Van Hoos, President and CEO of the Farm Credit Council in Washington, says cash farm income varies by commodity and by region. If you look across the broad swath of agriculture, it's very different depending on where you are. But especially in grains, we're feeling a lot of pressure, especially in the dairy sector. There's been a lot of pressure. So it, it sort of makes a difference on, on where you are and what you're growing. But, but overall, cash income is down for farmers, and it remains down. And if you know, look at the USDA's projection, it, it's projected to stay there. And so we, we've seen farmer balance sheets deteriorate a little bit across the last three years. Uh, fortunately, they came in and in good position by and large obviously that's a blanket statement not not applicable to any one individual but by and large they're holding their own right now but it's getting harder there have been some studies suggested that just over half of operations are still profitable but more than half of those might not stay that way if we look into the balance of 2017 i, th- I think it's going to be a tough year you know we had a we had a tough year for prices last year but a good year in most places for yields. And as I've talked to farmers around this summer uh, especially, uh, they've got some questions about some yields. They're looking good in places, and, and when you go up into some place like North Dakota or South Dakota, you see real drought problems. Uh, the, the sort of the central Midwest is still looking pretty good. Uh, prices are up just a little bit. So I, I would say it's going to be very tough to eke out much of a profit in many places, uh, and, and you could see uh, you know multiple years of operations who don't show profitability. Even at its worst in this particular downturn, most analysts are still suggesting that this is not the 1980s, but certainly we are in a negative run. The one area that I've seen that perhaps might be of concern is that in these lower income periods of time, we're seeing increased lending by agriculture companies, by retailers, by dealers and cooperatives to try to help those farmers who are having a hard time finding credit to keep them operating. You can even see that in the farm credit system. We've been having a lot of discussions. You know, it's part of our mission to lean into this a little, right? doesn't mean we're going to ignore good credit underwriting. It doesn't mean we're going to put farmers in bad positions. But, you know, part of our job is seeing people through these downturns. We understand the cycles. Uh, we understand they come and go. We'd love to know when this one's going to go. Uh, but we're trying to stick with folks. I mean, since the, since the downturn really started in 2013, you know, farm credit lending to farmers has actually increased by about $25 billion nationwide. 
So some of that's normal growth, right? Some of that's just asset appreciation and others, but some of it is uh, people restructuring operations, trying to make sure they're locked down for a particularly uh, difficult time. Uh, unlike some folks in the 80s, we see farmers making really good decisions and thinking long and hard about how can I tighten down my operation to make sure I get through this cycle. So looking at the farm economy in the years prior to the fall, farmers had built equity positions, but as we moved here into 2017, I heard a number of lenders and farmers themselves suggesting uh, the nest egg that they had built just about gone, if not already gone. We're seeing that. I mean, I've been down to a number of farm credit, local farm credit lenders, and they're talking a lot about that. You know, some of them are looking at projecting a third or even a fourth year of of barely break-even or negative returns, and 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 they're spending some equity. There's no doubt about that. And and people are you know looking at making difficult decisions. Right? It's about how do I adjust my operation, uh, and then how do we as lenders adjust? to make sure we find the best possible outcome for the customer, farmer out there, and that they can get through this. Your heart goes out to those producers who have suffered through these difficult economic times and now, A, are either suffering from extreme drought, even to the point in livestock of liquidating herds, or to the other extreme, uh, states like Indiana and Ohio, that are suffering from too much water and flooding. It helps to build the case, and I would suggest probably from your recent fly-in of speaking to the Congress and the legislature about having a, a farm bill and an adequate safety net to protect producers. That was our main message for the fly-in this year, and we brought in 630 people from around the country to tell Congress basically one message, and that is pass the farm bill. Uh, let's make a strong crop insurance the back pro- backbone of that farm bill. ARC and PLC are still vitally important out there. And if we're going to see farmers through this downturn, we need to make sure we maintain somewhat of a safety net out there. So our message didn't go into a lot of detail. We just wanted to make sure they understood there were a lot of people out there supporting the Farm Bill and urging Congress to pass it. Back in the 80s during that crisis, we saw farm machinery decline in terms of value, but we also saw a huge drop in farm land values. One of the recent studies suggested that farmland value outlook was steady with exceptions. Would you agree? I would, and, and that's, that's exactly what we're hearing from our folks in the field. For most part, land values are holding their own out there, but there are exceptions. And, and especially it seems like really high-quality land isn't moving much at all. In other words, it's, it's holding its value. Every time some really nice piece of property comes up, it seems like there's multiple bidders for it. Where you're having some drops is in the more marginal areas. When you get lesser quality farmland out there, you are seeing some reasonably decent-sized drops in value out there. So we're watching that closely. But overall, the good news is uh, ag lenders, farm credit, uh, commercial banks, others really didn't lend on asset value this time like they did in the 1980s. And so much more emphasis on cash flow, much more emphasis on you know what are you going to do in your ongoing operations to support this price and so farmers were not levered as highly as they were you know 25 years ago the group that we're concerned about is that young farmer or that beginning farmer pretty nice to show a balance sheet back in the early 2000s when black ink was in bold at the bottom of the page but now that margins are tighter 
what has this uh, economic situation created for them in trying to find operating loans and and uh, either begin or expand their operations? Well, no, no question, it's tough out there. I mean, especially if a if a younger farmer who doesn't have a lot of equity in their operation uh, is, is looking at a deficit situation. It is difficult, no question about that. I mean, part of what we're doing in the farm credit system is making we sure we get out there early. We want to have conversations with those farmers. We want to make young farmers especially aware of, you know, here are your options. Uh, here are your alternatives. Can we can we lengthen out some payments? Can we restructure something? Can we find some way to get that low equity farmer through this downturn? And then in, in terms of starting up, I mean, the best advice we can give folks right now is, you know, start simple. Uh, make sure you keep your leverage down. And, and obviously that's difficult in agriculture. We have seen during this downturn the lending from the Department of Agriculture uh, certainly has increased. And there's question, is there enough last resort dollars available through the government to be able to help some of these operations either catch root or keep on? We've had conversations on Capitol Hill about that. Uh, you know, we, we don't think there's enough. We'd, we'd love to see FSA lending expanded. Uh, even temporarily through this downturn, because it's, there's going to be more demand for it, no doubt about that. And probably just as important, if not more important, is the loan size. That FSA loan size has become antiquated, and especially when you're talking about getting a young and beginning farmer started uh, to get them to be sort of commercially viable. The scale of that's larger now, and those loan levels just don't reflect it. So we talked to Congress about increasing the FSA lending levels for both direct and guaranteed loans and increasing the overall uh, amount of FSA lending available. The Trump administration has talked about regulatory relief, and we'll spend more time on that in a couple of minutes. But I would ask here, there's also discussion about uh, regulations that have been over the lending industry and the ag lending industry uh, that some might have suggested handcuffed you from being able to do the things you needed to do to help farmers in rural communities. We see regulatory costs certainly adding to the burden, right, in a couple of ways. One, the compliance costs, the regulatory compliance costs are going up all the time. The, the hurdles that, regu- that uh, financial institutions of all kinds, farm credit, commercial banks, and everybody else, have to jump over now are much higher than they used to. That adds cost. But also, probably more applicable to this downturn, one of the things we've been very fortunate so far is that, that our regulator, the Farm Credit Administration, is pretty expert in agriculture, and they understand this downturn. And so, you know, if, if the regulator came into Farm Credit Institution and really ratcheted down, you know, really uh, got tough on credit, then, you know, this institution would have a hard time sticking with its customers. So right now we're 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 working a lot with the Farm Credit Administration to make sure they understand exactly what we're seeing out there in the marketplace and exactly what's happening with farmers so that we can continue to meet that mission. Over the past several months we've talked to a number of commodity groups and all of them are talking about how a new farm bill they'd love to see increased spending. But as we get closer to writing this policy, uh, one of the goals might be just to maintain, and even the House plan would cut $10 billion from the previous baseline. The question that I would ask, and that I know that you spent time talking on the Hill, is can this Congress, with the dollars available, build a safety net to protect this industry? 
We think they can, and and we're very supportive of maintaining that crop insurance program especially. We certainly understand budget pressures, right? I mean, you look at some of the deficit projections moving forward, and it's worrying. You know, as, as people in the financial industry who raise money on Wall Street and deliver it to rural America, we have real concerns about that deficit situation because it impacts the price of credit out there in the long term. So we're watching that. At the same time, you know, when you look at the federal budget, uh, ag is a tiny, tiny slice of it. And, and you know, you're not going to balance the federal budget on a few billion dollars in, in crop insurance for sure. And so I would expect to see some level of overall budget cut with the farm bill, but I don't think it's going to be big, and I think Congress can get the job done on the safety net. There are suggestions that crop insurance should employ a means test that would limit the premium subsidies that are available to certain larger farmers and also that would take away the harvest price option. How do you see those proposals? You know, I, I don't think they make any sense. I mean, one of our messages to Congress was, this is insurance. That You know, you need to broaden the pool. And, and any concept, any proposal that would narrow the pool, either by size or means testing, as you call it, really does is counterproductive. It makes the program worse, not better. And so right now we have a pretty efficient program. Farmers are paying a good portion of that premium. And as a result, if you get fewer people paying premium, you're going to increase the risk in the entire pool. And and so I, I understand people who, who are making these proposals, but I, I really think they're counterproductive. The 2014 Farm Bill was written in a much different economic climate than we see here in 2017. You know, the ARC program, that based on revenue, uh, pretty good when you're using an Olympic average that shows black ink. The PLC with uh, price loss coverage, uh, easier to set a price when uh, obviously the numbers are profitable. But now that the ec- uh, the economy is different, uh, I have to believe the committees will be taking a hard look at, at how do you work with an Olympic average for a revenue-based program, and is there a fear of setting a price too high that might influence planning decisions? Obviously, Congress is going to be looking at that. I mean, we, we are big supporters of ARC and PLC, both. Um, that Olympic average is is something that farmers rely on. It's it's an important part of the safety net. Obviously, it, it in a time like now, it just sort of ratchets down over time, right? So we are seeing that come down. I think Congress will look at that. But those are important programs. I mean, there's not much left in, in way of farm safety net programs, and ARC and PLC remain very important. Red flag for cotton and for dairy. Obviously, the 14th Farm Bill didn't work the way as planned for those two commodities, and there is some real pain and suffering going on in those communities and among those farmers. Well, you know, we talk a lot about the downturn in grains going on three years, where if you're a cotton farmer, it's four years. This is the fourth year of that, and and there's no real upturn in sight for them. So. We've seen a lot of uh, struggles out there, frankly, and and I think they've got some good ideas about how how to address that. Certainly, the oilseed question is one of the things they're looking at. Uh, same in dairy. I mean, dairy has been uh, very volatile, and it's tough out there. Uh, and and so we would expect Congress would probably look at adjusting both of those programs to make sure that that meets the needs of those producers. As we're talking about the budget and from the Department of Agriculture, there is one area that a lot of communities speak about, and that is of rural development. But rural development costs money. Can we afford to or can we afford not to continue to make investment in rural communities, whether it be for 
water or for broadband service or for other amenities? We certainly think there's a, a, a big role for the federal government and state governments in rural development. You know, clean water for rural families, broadband to connect our communities, uh, reliable power, renewable power out there are all big topics. And the federal government and state governments can't do it alone. So I think innovative approaches which pair federal government spending, state government spending with private sector financial resources are what it's going to take to continue to rebuild the rural infrastructure out there. And let's face it, rebuilding rural infrastructure is the difference between having a rural community and not. And we think it's really critical and have had some some great discussions at, at both the White House and on Capitol Hill on emphasizing the unique infrastructure needs in rural America, both ag transportation and rural communities. And so far, we feel like we're making good progress in those discussions. It is technology that has helped U.S. agriculture maintain the cutting edge in terms of overall profitability and sustainability, for that matter. But it's very difficult to ask a progressive industry to operate in this day and age without adequate broadband. Broadband is the thing most people bring up first when you talk about the needs in rural uh, communities. You know, when you talk about rural communities, nearly 40% of rural America does not have access to Internet speeds at at the bare minimum for broadband. And so it's a big gap out there. This so-called digital divide is something that we're working hard on. I know there's a lot of innovative technological ideas to get it out there, but still, not having that access to broadband really holds back innovations in agriculture and it holds back development of rural businesses. Everything from, from medical care to business, any kind of businesses are more and more dependent on modern broadband and we just don't see enough of it out there and that's one of the proposals we're trying to get people focused on as part of this rebuild rural effort. This administration has spent a lot of time talking trade. Some in agriculture would say to the plus and certainly concern uh, removing the U.S. from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. But we're about to begin a renegotiation of the North American Free Trade Agreement. And some would say that the TPP baseline might also become the baseline for discussion with our two neighbors, that to the north and to the south. Do you have a particular message for this Congress as the administration starts to reopen this deal? We were very worried about a lot of the rhetoric we heard as part of the campaigns on all sides, frankly, as part of this last election. You know, there is no doubt that U.S. agriculture is the envy of the world because we can produce it efficiently and move it to market more efficiently than just about anybody else. And as a result, we've, we've really built up great trade balances on agriculture. And so ag is, uh, trade is vital to agriculture. And we don't want to lose that message. And so certainly when our folks were up on the Hill, we talked a lot about we need to continue moving products. We need to continue to make progress on our trade deals. And we've got a lot of markets to open up out there. One of the goals of the administration is for tax reform and for agriculture. Certainly that could have some benefit, but I've also understood there may be some potential changes in the accounting practices that might actually make it more difficult for farms. Well, one of the things we're looking at certainly is interest deductibility. Unlike a lot of other business, agriculture tends to be more capital intensive, tends to be a little more highly levered. And so if we've heard proposals about uh, taking away deductibility of interest, and that would be a 
big blow to agriculture and certainly is something we're concerned about. Tom Van Hoos, we want to thank you very much for spending time with us on this edition of Open Mic. Sir, it is Open Mic, and you have an open forum. Well, I just say thank you to the 630 farm credit people who came in for our fly-in. It was a great time to be in Washington. It was a very important message as, as Congress starts to begin to focus seriously on this farm bill coming up. We want to make sure we join with the rest of agriculture in uniting to push Congress to pass a strong farm bill. That safety net is what's going to see our farmers through this downturn, and there's never been a more important time to make that voice heard in Washington. I think we made it heard loud and clear. Our thanks to Todd Van Hoos, President and CEO of the Farm Credit Council, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CHS Inc. CHS is a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States. Learn more at chsinc.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.